from uh, two-bedroom apartment on the west side of Los Angeles, it's High on Film! Tonight, we've got Brendan Gallagher and Amistad. The only thing John Quincy Adams will be remembered for is his middle name on this week's Meconicized episode. Well, hello and welcome to another exciting episode of High on Film, and an exciting episode I truly do mean this week. Episode 234, our final McConuary celebration. Ugh, it's bittersweet, and I, I just, I love this time of year. You know, just a little extra spring in my step, an extra all right in my speech. Just, just a great time to be alive, and we are watching Amistad. From 1997, today on High On Film, sobering talk about movies. Los Angeles' only irrelevant podcast, film, review, show. Last on the charts, but first in your hearts. High On Film. I'm Chris Maxwell. I'm your host. Welcome, once again, Amistad, directed by Steven Spielberg, written by David Franzoni. And I believe there's only one more person you need to meet. Well, that's not true. One more right now. Two more. One more right away. He is the co-host from the couch, the man who's right to my left, the walking Kevin Bacon game, and the Brad Davis that God gave us, my co-host and friend, Brad Davis. Mary McConuary. Mary McConuary, Brad. How's it going? How's this McConuary treating you? Uh, it's all right. Yeah. Yeah. 2018. Yeah, okay. Yep. We're here. Sure. <laughs> well, you know... Our past McConuaries, we've explored a lot of different topics. Is he good or not? Uh, how good is he in romantic comedies? How good is he as a lawyer? And now I think we're finally at the stage of McConuaries, McConuary, <laughs> Matthew McConaughey's career, where he's, he's doing work with the masters. Steven Spielberg, Anthony Hopkins. Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. Chiwetel Ejiofor. Jumanjin Hunsu. Uh, uh, what's the, the guy's name? David Paymer. David Paymer. <laughs> yeah. The Stellan Skarsgård. Stellan Skarsgård. That's a good one. David Paymer, the, the king of character actors. Anyway. Um, yeah, he did this uh, year after Time to Kill, which we've done in a McConaughey past. That's true. And the only movie he did in between this was with another pretty big director, Robert Zemeckis, 1997's Contact. So a little Matthew McConaughey... Framing for you, if you will. A little fun fact. <laughs> a little fun fact. And also, I should bring this up. This is our second week in a row of doing an Anna Paquin movie. Anna Paquin, funny enough, might be the only female in this entire movie as well. Yeah, <laughs> and she's not in it much. No, she's not. <laughs> she plays a petulant Spanish queen. There it is. Why not? Now, you know, it's McConaughey, so this should come as no surprise to you. Our guest today is... A great friend of the show. In fact, the founder of McConuary itself. He is a very talented writer and a friend of mine for almost as long as I can remember. Brendan Gallagher has returned. It's so good to be here, guys. Brendan. So good to be here. Always a pleasure. And it's true, you don't need to meet me, but you're going to anyway. <laughs> no, you were the third. <laughs> did did you sorry. say this is the final McConuary? I did. We are in the final, we are within the final 20 episodes of High on Film. That's news to me. <laughs> yeah, we, we're, we're wrapping it up at, uh, at uh, what number? 250. Wow. So after this, there's 16 remaining episodes. Well, if this is the last time I'm on, which, I, you know, if it's not, if there's some kind of clip show, what have you, <laughs> a send-off, I'd come back. But if it is, it's been a fucking pleasure. It, no. it truly has. Yeah, well, well let's, we'll put those aside for now. Mm. This is a time of celebration. It's true. It's We've true. got the banners up. We got the McConuary tree up. <laughs> yep. You know, this, we got it all. It's all up. Look, I've been a defender of McConaughey on the show numerous times. I, I you know, we we did the famous uh, McConaughey trial. We did. But I gotta say, as I've endured some of his early work, I start to wonder if I've got mixed feelings about him. <laughs> now that you see his Steven Spielberg installment. Oof. Amistad. Yeah, I, I think that all of us had not seen this prior to this viewing, correct? Correct. Correct. There, there's movies that you just assume are good, 
but no one ever watches them or talks about them. <laughs> and you think, oh, it's a forgotten gem, or, you know, it just didn't capture box office imagination, the zeitgeist, and you think, oh, it's got to be a good movie. And then it, it isn't. <laughs> I remember in 90, this movie's from 97, so yeah. that's the year of, like, the Titanic, L.A. Confidential. A contentious year, I hear. Uh, as good film. as it gets. Goodwill Hunting were all like nominated for Best Picture, so I just kind of assumed like, oh, it was such a stacked deck that year that this just couldn't work its way in to like like that kind of conversation. Now I see it, and I'm like, oh, it just it just wasn't very good. Yeah, but nominated for Best Picture? No, 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 it was not. But Anthony Hopkins is nominated for Supporting Actor. Right. Is that all it got? It's got like three other ones, uh, like maybe cinematography. Three other more like technical. Mm, I hope not cinematography. Uh, yeah, <laughs> not since Dame Judi Dench stepped off the carriage in Shakespeare in Love have we seen so irrelevant an actor nominated for Best Supporting Actor yeah. in the film. Yeah, Anthony Hopkins does almost nothing in this movie. <laughs> and it is funny that these characters, like, Stellan Skarsgård starts to have, like, the main role, but then he gives way to Matthew McConaughey, who then just gives way... To Chiwetel Ejiofor, who gives way to Anthony Hopkins. It's a team it's, effort. Yeah, yeah, and then it's the end of the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, Oscar nominations, four nominations. Uh, Anthony Hopkins for Best Supporting Actor. Jan Uz Kaminsky for Best Cinematography. Oh, yeah, Ruth E. Carter, Best Costume Design. And John Williams, Best Music, Original Dramatic Score. Oof. Anything that can have a firm ray of light poking through a dark place, whether it be a candle... Sunlight, they're gonna give it to you. Yeah, because this is America, damn it. <laughs> Absolutely, the sun is setting as they give some of their most uh, inspired speeches right before the uh, uh, "Free us now" or what? What does he say? Um, uh, Sinke, give me free. Give or... give us us free. Yeah, yeah. The sun is setting just oh so perfectly throughout the courtroom. It's lovely. Okay, guys, we have a lot to talk about, but we got to start this off. With some trash, star, destroy. Our first segment, we give you three movies of a similar ilk. We ask that you trash one, which means it's eliminated from existence. You get the star in one in whatever role you'd like to take for yourself. But that means the third movie must be destroyed, which means the only version that has ever existed has been both written and directed by Mr. Michael Bay of Armageddon fame. So, let's start off with our McConuary category. We'll do uh, Matthew McConaughey as White Savior, a.k.a. his race relation movies. We'll do A Time to Kill. We'll do Amistad. And, of course, Free State of Jones, where he's a Confederate soldier who actually uh, fights for the slaves' rights. What a hero. What a hero. Yeah. A Time to Kill, where another lawyer, you know, Amistad filling out our, our McConaughey at law. Category. I've seen them all now. Bernie, Time to Kill, Lincoln Lawyer, Amistad. Yeah, me too. There it is. Uh, so Brad, yeah, Time to Kill, Amistad, and Free State of Jones, Trash, Star, Destroy. I'm going to star in Time to Kill. I think I'm taking McConaughey's role. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of good actors. You get to work with a lot of really good actors in that movie then in that situation. True. Um, whether it's, you know, Oliver Platt, Donald Sutherland, Sandra Bullock. Sandy. Sandy B. Um, so I think that's kind of an easy choice for me there. I'm trying to think if there's another role in that movie I'm forgetting. And you get to work with Samuel Sam Jackson. Jackson. Um, so yeah, sorry, Matt, taking that role. That leaves Free State of Jones or Amistad. Um... I guess I'm going to trash Amistad. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And not Free State of Jones. I don't know which... I'm trying to decide You're which You're probably is, making the right choice, actually. I, I'm trying to think which is worse to give to Michael Bay, and it seems like it's worse to give Michael Bay Amistad. Keep him out of the courtroom. Yeah. And, like, slave torture scenes, which I guess could be in Free State of Jones as well. It's hard to believe that that's free of... That's true. Slave beatings. That's true. I've not seen it. So either way, I'm going to give Free State of Jones the bay. And I'm just going to trash Amistad. I feel like that's fine. And Michael Bay's version might be three hours. Yeah. Of Amistad. But, if that's, that's true. 
So that's what I'm doing. Brendan. I'm, I'm going to do the same things that Brad does. Okay. And, uh, you know, I think it just bears mentioning that there's a lot of conversation about representation, how POs need to have a place in their narratives, and you can hear it on Twitter, you can read about it, but you can't really understand it until something as tone deaf as Spielberg's take on Amistad is like otherizing, uh, exoticizing, centering white characters. It's like a textbook case of everything I've been hearing about and trying to understand in the last few years, so I appreciated it in that way. And I mean, we have to imagine that Michael Bay would do it even less sensitively <laughs> Yes, Spielberg. Exactly my yeah. point. And yeah. that's what's mind-boggling. Like, you think about it at the time, you know, like... Any like NPR liberal watched Amistad and was like, oh, that's uh, very sensitively done. And 20 years later, we're like, what the fuck were we thinking? You yeah. Know? So, no Michael Bay there. Um, Free State of Jones, I'm sure, is also problematic in some way, but at least there's a lot of shooting of guns, I assume, hiding in swamps. The trailer would have you believe. They could handle that. Yeah. And then I'm going to start on Time to Kill. I'm going to play Oliver Platt part because I just think, oh. like, like fanning myself in a seer sucker suit like while eating ribs you know I could do that yeah yeah <laughs> that is a that's probably the more fun role to take quite honestly <laughs> uh boy I think you guys are right I'm trying to find an argument of maybe me playing the Catholic judge in Amistad <laughs> but I just don't know if I can do it I mean you get to work with Spielberg yeah, that's true. That's well, I mean, and that's probably one of the only reasons I would maybe consider it over the other two. Uh-huh. And yeah, I mean, I don't think anything works better for Michael Bay than Free State of Jones. So yeah, I'm gonna go with it. And my debate now is to either star with you guys at a time to kill or take one of the parts you have. And I'll star with you guys. I'll be. I'll take Kevin Spacey out of the movie and uh, take his role. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's the other one. Is that or Kiefer Sutherland? Be the real Thank you for being prick. a good ally. Yeah, yeah, hey, Kevin I'm trying Spacey. to. Yeah, yeah, good call taking the Spacey role. I kind of... Yeah, get him out of there. Get the Spaceman out of there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spaceman. Uh... All right, guys. Well, let's do let's do one more category. This is, after all, a Steven Spielberg movie. And I think only the fourth... Steven Spielberg movie we've done on the show. I believe that is correct. Jaws, Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones, and The Last Crusade. And now Amistad. And now Amistad. That's it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do uh, some Spielberg histories. This, of course, tells uh, the story of a very specific, true historical event. So let's do his three other movies that tell true historical uh, recounts. Recountings. Uh, we'll do, of course, maybe his finest masterpiece, Schindler's List. We'll do a movie that I've recently found out that I need to revisit because I didn't totally care for the first time around, but now people look at it as one of his most revered, Munich. And his latest Oscar winner, Lincoln. Lincoln, Munich, Schindler's List, Trash, Star, Destroy. I will star in Schindler's List because I feel like that's that's probably is his masterpiece. I feel like it's given the the subject matter and so on that that's the most important to keep intact uh, to me. So, what part do I play in Schindler's List? Though, I guess I'd maybe take the Liam Neeson role. Be Schindler. Schindler. Yeah. Brad Davis has Oscar Schindler. Yeah. All right. I like I mean, it. I mean, I... I'm rather... skeptical, but I've come around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, believe me, it's a skeptical call. But uh, then you really get to work with Ben Kingsley, who I think is so damn good in that movie. Um, so that leaves Munich and... What's the other one? Lincoln. Lincoln, right. Uh, Lincoln Lawyer. I guess I'll give Munich to Bay. That seems a little more up his alley. Okay. There's a little more action to that. Terrorist bombing of the Olympics. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. You're not wrong. Plays more into his hand than passing a bill. (laughs) (laughs) 
Sure. I, I don't know. Um, part, part of me is actually half interested to see what Michael Bay would do with Lincoln out of sheer curiosity. But I think the what plays the best is then is to give Bay Munich and then trash Lincoln. Okay. Brendan? All right. You have a dissenting opinion here? I do. I want you guys to hear me out on this. Why I'm trashing Schindler's List is not a, a referendum on Schindler's List. But you guys can't see me. Nature of the podcast medium. I don't read is very Aryan, and I will not play Jewish character again in this in this environment <laughs> since I'm not Jewish, you know, and that, that doesn't fly these days. I stopped doing that when I played Tevia in the eleventh grade. You know, I <laughs> promised myself I wouldn't do that again. Um, but I am going to star in Lincoln because I think that's so funny. Like, oh well, Daniel Day Lewis, he did fine. You know, now I'm going to give it a shot. You're going to play Lincoln? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just a hilarious idea. And then, I, 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 to Brad's point, I think Munich is the most Bay-adjacent thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, and get the Eric Bana climax scene. That's probably what we're reading to Michael Bay Sands, right? <laughs> shoot climax scenes all the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's overdone, just like Michael Bay would have done it. So, yeah, I, I think you guys are right-ish. I'm, I mean, boy, I was thinking I'd star in Lincoln as Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the Lincoln story. <laughs> Who does he play in Lincoln? He's one of the sons. And not Tad. <laughs> Dad Lincoln. Is it a Tad? Or is it Todd? Yeah, I think it was Tad. Tad or Tad. Or Mary yeah. Todd and Tad and another one. For two kids. The son is not Tad. Yeah, and his dog's <laughs> name is Fido. It's true. Lincoln's dog was named Fido. Uh, yeah. one, of the, one of our greatest minds. <laughs> well, maybe that's why... I've, I've, I've hypothesized that maybe that's why Fido became such a popular dog name. I wonder if that was before or after Lincoln. Call in! Let if you know. know. If you remember. Please. <laughs> I Call know that line. Mozart's dog's name was... Gockerel, and that didn't catch on. So <laughs> ah. I learned that on a recent trip to Europe. So there's a little Gockerel? Bit, yeah. You fuck. <laughs> it's like, and like it roughly translated to like mischievous gambler, hmm. which Mozart was. He, Kenny Rogers. And we don't need, this is the Mozart podcast, but suffice to say. That's the next Wolf, show. After Wolf, High on Film wraps up, it's the Mozart yeah. podcast. Mozart Wolf, Mondays. Wolfgang liked his cards. So let's hmm. leave it at that. Uh, yeah, please. Let's not dish too much on Mozart. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, and Michael Jordan's dog was named uh, Sir Charles in Space Jam. Mm. Wow. Yeah, but I guess I am trashing Schindler's List. <laughs> <laughs> I think Brendan's right. That's I mean, call the business segue right there. <laughs> that was smooth. Take note, listeners. That was smooth. That's tough. I mean, God, I, I guess I could play a Nazi in Schindler's List. <laughs> I think but, you could, but thanks. I, I, you know what? I, I, you know I, what I, I am. I, get to, I still get to work with Spielberg. Who cares? Screw Lincoln. We're trashing Lincoln. We don't need it. Daniel Day Lewis has enough Best Actor Oscars. He doesn't need a third. Uh, looks like he won't get his fourth. Munich is Michael Bay's, and I'm in Schindler's List. I'm Nazi two. Nazi two. Yeah. Whoever's after finds. <laughs> Second in command. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they can do some real heinous stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Your fine's right hand man. Um, yeah, yeah, I, exactly. I want to share a brief story. If it's inappropriate, feel free to cut it. Uh, but I was in Budapest recently, and I went to the um, synagogue there. There's a Holocaust memorial. As I said, I, I look like a member of the tribe, you know. It, uh, and I walk in, and the whole time I'm in there, all the old people that are kind of docents nod at me and look at me like, <laughs> like you know, this is for you, buddy. Yeah, I, like Hungarians are a little swarthier, so I look very much like. And so the whole time, like, Clara was, like, almost cracking up laughing, because, like, <laughs> like, they didn't get, like, they issued everyone else a yamai, let me keep my hat that I had on, I'm like, oh, you, go nice. ahead, you go ahead, and the whole time they just, like, kind of distance, like, making eye contact, like, yeah. hey, man, we know. Yeah, it was <laughs> real, I mean, kind of pretty funny. <laughs> that is pretty hilarious. <laughs> Special treatment in Budapest. Hey, so. There you go. First time I ever got a VIP treatment. <laughs> First time for everything. Yeah. Congratulations. Had to wait till you went to a Holocaust museum. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. That is Trash Don't Destroy for this Macanuary. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and be right back with more Amistad, more Brendan Gallagher, 
Gallagher. Gallagher. <laughs> Mr. Gallagher. Yeah. It's like my Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Dr. Gallagher and Mr. Gallagher. <laughs> More high on film right after this. And we're back, high on film, talking Amistad today for McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey easily second build, I think. Third build, maybe, because of Hopkins. Who knows? Yeah. Call him. Call him. Our, our internet's broken. He might have the most lines in the movie. Yeah, I think so. That's probably true. Because he doesn't fall off as much as everyone else does when a new character is introduced. A new Although good guy. screen time could go to... Uh, Hansu. Hunsu. Hunsu. Yeah. Hunsu. He might have the most screen time. That's true. Um, but either way, I think we're all in agreement that this is among Steven Spielberg's l- least lovely films. And middle of the road for Matthew. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, probably, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Boy, that says a lot. Surfer Dude is worse. That Surfer Dude's gonna be the worst one we watch together, right? Like, there's no coherent plot to Surfer Dude. Probably. I mean, I remember disliking Wedding Planner enough, right? Wedding Planner's bad. Yeah. Lincoln Lawyer was pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, I don't. it wasn't Surfer Dude bad, but it was bad. Um, Lincoln Lawyer was pretty bad. Um, Ghost of Girlfriends Pass is bad, but it's bad in a way that's, like, funny and fun. Yeah, and there's enough other people in that, like, little cameo parts. Like, like Emma Stone, Stone, Michael Douglas, kind of keeps it light. I think... How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days could have been a hit if it had been Reese Witherspoon. Mm. I thought it was a hit. I mean, I, I guess I guess I mean, film. like, uh, enduring. Like, it would be, mm. you know, when we go through the, the rom-com list or something, I think if you had a more charismatic female lead, I think it could, the, the premise is pretty good. Yeah. Well, you know, Kate Hudson and McConaughey just had that little je ne sais quoi. <laughs> they really did yeah. lasted all the way to Fool's Gold exactly put her in another movie Oof. I'm sure Fool's him. Gold's worse than this maybe maybe we'll I've never know it, we'll never watch it we'll never watch it <laughs> alright guys it doesn't matter if we're going to watch Fool's Gold or not because we watched Amistad and it is time for the summary game so just in case you haven't watched this two and a half hour movie you won't have to we're going to give it the best damn summary we each can uh, in a thousandth of the time that it actually takes to view. So a 155-minute movie takes 15.5 seconds to summarize, uh, according to the rules of this game, for a, a zero to two-point total for each one of us, as we will uh, judge one another's performances numerically. Please use decimals to refine your score, if need be. And uh, let's get this underway, huh? One of Spielberg's worst Right down there with Lost World and what was the other one we said? Uh, oh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, yeah, definitely his worst. I'll go ahead and say that. I've seen 1941, and Crystal Skull's way worse. <laughs> wow, worst Spielberg movie ever. Maybe Crystal Skull. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, 1942 one is probably the number sequel? two. Yeah, 1942. The is probably number two. Then we're probably talking Lost World or Amistad. Yeah. yeah. I feel like we're still forgetting one. another one that's probably pretty bad. <clears throat> Never saw The Terminal. Although it's gotten some late life. Uh, I've seen parts of The Terminal and it's definitely more enjoyable than this was. Yeah. Okay, well, Brad, let's see if you can decide who goes first, second, and third. Let's see if I can do it. <laughs> Because it's already been predetermined. Because <laughs> we had our patented toy cost coin toss during the break, like we always do. And you called it, and it came up just like you called it. Of course. Which we don't need to recount again. No, why would we? Do you want to go first, second, or third? It was, you had to be there. Yeah, yeah you totally did. Uh, I guess I'll go first. Going first to summarize yeah. Amistad in 15.5 seconds. You ready for the spread? Not really. Okay, well, tell me when you're ready. Okay, I'm ready now. All right. Three, two, one. After slaves uh, take over a ship and kill everyone on board, they sail to America where they have to, uh, the courts have to decide if they should be free or not. Uh, Matthew McConaughey takes over the case, then really it's Anthony Hopkins in the end making a big speech, and then they're free. And I still had more time. Time. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. 
That's true. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, I thought you were going to run out of time, but you got to the end pretty quick. I know. I kind of, when I got there, I assumed it was going to run out. That's a lot. Two and a half hours is a long movie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My turn? Oh, no, it's my turn. Yes, it is. Sorry. Yep. Yep. Uh, 15.5 seconds for me. Are you ready, Chris? Unlike you. Yeah. Unlike me. All right. (laughs) 15.5 on the clock. In three, two, one. A uh, slave revolt on a ship uh, leads to the slaves being found in uh, uh, New England. Uh, they have to battle for their rights in the court system to see if they're free men and to prove that they're not property and freed slaves. And Matthew McConaughey and uh, John Quincy Adams help free them. Time. Yeah. All right. There it is. John Quincy Adams and Matthew and... McConaughey. And... <laughs> Not William S. Baldwin. <laughs> Billy Baldwin, going back to school. Is that his Baldwin? name, Billy Baldwin? No. <laughs> oh, I think it's you Richard. Said William S. Baldwin. Yeah, I think it's Richard Baldwin. <laughs> but Matthew McConaughey's character is Baldwin. I like P. Baldwin. <laughs> P. Baldwin? It's Pete Postwait. He's the opposing uh, attorney. Yeah. All right, oh. Brendan. Five, one, five, point five seconds on the clock. To summarize Amistad. Three, two, one. Slaves mutiny and take over a sh- slave ship. The slip- ship lands in America. Various uh, white people try and save them from America's racism until John Quincy Adams ultimately succeeds. <laughs> <laughs> Time! <laughs> there it is. Good summary. All right. Yes, various white people and one other black person. Well, two others. Morgan Freeman's a little in the background. He kind of just is there to kind of like look askance at the asshole white guys, which I think you do have to have, but he doesn't really like getting the ball rolling on much. No. I mean, he gets McConaughey involved a little bit, inspires him a little bit. He just seems to get yelled at a lot. Yeah. And shamed by the Africans. Well, that's kind of what I meant by yelled at a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of people get yelled at a lot in this movie. That's the beauty of a courtroom drama. It is. A lot of yelling. A lot of yelling. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, let's see if we can yell out a few lines of our own. It's time for first impressions. We're each going to give the person sitting to our right a line from Amistad. We'd like to hear them impersonate to the best of their ability. This time, for zero to three points. Ooh. Thanks, Brad. You're welcome. Uh, Since Brad went first, I will go first this time uh, and give Brendan a line. And... uh, Boy, you know what? Philadelphia is in a Super Bowl. We should probably do a line honoring our Pennsylvania sister city. Truly. Of course. The city of brotherly love. (laughs) (laughs) Philadelphia. At one point, um, Matthew McConaughey, uh, Richard S. Baldwin, a.k.a. William S. Baldwin. uh, Billy Baldwin. (laughs) Billy Baldwin says, uh, I believe it's the first case with the new judge now. Or no, it's the old judge. Before the new judge. And uh, he's arguing that they ki- couldn't be uh, Jamaican or Cuban slaves because they don't speak Spanish. They're Africans. And then he says, uh, Your Honor, I speak more Spanish, and I was born in Philadelphia. So here he is amongst the courtroom rabble. Your Honor, I speak more Spanish, and I was born in Philadelphia. Your Honor, on Spanish plantations... Slaves always choose to live surrounded by their own ways and simple languages. Your Honor, I speak more Spanish than I was born in Philadelphia. That was really good. That was really good. <laughs> I believe you. Yeah. And I know you're not born in Philadelphia. But I was actually born uh, an hour and 45 minutes southwest of Philadelphia, but magic of the, the films. Yeah, exactly. Magic of fantasy. Podcast magic there. Boy, great job. Great job, buddy. Do you have a line you'd like to give Brad? I do. Um, one thing I love about Matthew McConaughey is his folksy aphorisms that make it into any film he's in, whether he's an astronaut traveling in the future or a lawyer far in the past. And, uh, in this particular line, he muses, he's basically saying, like, we know what's property is isn't property. But he gives like seven different examples, and one of them is knowing the difference between a polecat and a president. Uh, it's a great line, and here it is. You know the difference between a cow and a cabbage? A brick and a bear. 
Or how about a polecat and a president? Brad, you up to task? Maybe. <laughs> that line is so fucking stupid. Okay. Oh, I'll try. All right. <clears throat> Do you know the difference between a cow and a cabbage? A brick and a bear? Or how about a polecat and a president? Okay. <laughs> I feel like you started stronger than the ended. Yeah, it got muddled in the middle. But yeah, you got man. a little more too, st too staccato towards the end. The brick and a... The brick, brick and a bear, and a bear. thing, like, he speeds <laughs> up so much, I it just kind of, the that rhythm threw me off a little bit. Brad, do you have a line for me, sir? I do, and funny enough, it's What's a so Matthew McConaughey line. Oh my god, oh a McConaughey miracle. What a shocker, considering he's the only one who says anything totally ridiculous in this movie. Uh, well, I got some John Quincy Adams. Oh yeah, Hopkins too, how could I forget? Yeah, he's out of control. Uh, but no, this is a McConaughey line. He is talking with uh, uh, Hansu's, or Diamond Hansu's character. Sinke. Yeah, Sinke, thank you. Um, and he's trying to explain him. I believe this is when, is this right after the judges are switched? And he's trying to explain to him what happened? Uh, or... No, this, yeah, the judges have been switched, and now he has uh, Chiwetel Ejiof. Ezio Four as his translator. Right. And he's kind of explaining that I, I believe it's... There's no one left to help him. Right. And he's kind of explaining that, you know... Help me not, help you. Right. And this <laughs> is kind of his... You know, I'm not a... I, I'm not a genius. I'm not the smartest guy ever, but... I, I can do something type speech. So, let's let Matthew do his thing. I am not a great... Orator or advisor, I'm not a big man in my profession. I don't know that I alone can convince this next judge to set you free. I need your help. Alright, <clears throat> a little bit of humility for Mr. McConaughey there. <clears throat> Here we go. I am not a great orator or advisor, Sinke. I am not a big man in my profession. And I know that not I alone can convince this next judge to set you free. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I liked it. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah, that was good. Did we, I zoned out slightly when uh, Brad was pitching to Chris the line. Did we mention that every time McConaughey plays a lawyer, he has a line in which he basically does the cartoon bit where he says, I'm just a simple country lawyer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we did not, I but it is framed hilarious. it a little bit that way, but yeah, you're totally right. That yeah. is exactly it's, it. It's self-parody. He really is self-parody. Until until True Detective, he's just self-parody in everything. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. Well, I mean, it's written for him to be that way, too. It's like, all right, we need a southerner who looks and sounds stupid. <laughs> He, but is actually going to have the right words in the end. I mean, I don't know what they were thinking with his costume in this. I mean, it must have been like, <laughs> this asshole will look like this in real life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He looks like he's a fucking like, substitute teacher at Hogwarts. You know? <laughs> he does. He like, gets expelled for f boning one of the students or something. <laughs> Where is that in the Hogwarts uh, yeah. history? I'll look for it. Uh, yeah, hopefully yeah, they put it in the um, Fantastic Beast. Yeah, call in. Call in and let us know which Hogwarts uh, teacher is most likely to be a pederast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alright, guys. We can throw the scorecards to the side for the time being, because we're going to get into more of an open forum discussion we like to call Scene Work. Now, if it hasn't been readily apparent, we're an optimistic podcast, and we're going to start things off optimistically here as well. Uh, with... Doo -doo -doo -doo, best Scene. Oh, and I guess if it hasn't been firmly uh, established, we're all the way into spoiler country. So, oh yeah, feel free <laughs> to know that things may be spoiled from here on out. But not for me, because my best scene is the very first scene of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, Sinke removes the... A just terribly gruesome ripping of a nail out of the floorboards and the, the lightning looking at the blood shining off the metal and the wood as he like tears his own fingers apart to get this one nail out to pick his lock and then lead this slave rebellion on the ship um 
the wind, the rain, the lightning, creating almost a strobe effect while they slaughter these these slavers who uh, took them from Africa. Um, I thought it was really well done and really kicked this movie off for me and got a lot of exposition out of the way really quickly, I thought. Uh, in, I think, where the Michael Bay version would have had another 45 minutes of them on the slave ship before the rebellion actually happens. Uh, so yeah, that's mine. That's my best scene. Yeah, I agree. I think that is it's one of the only good scenes in this movie. Uh, I mean, even they do, in that scene, like close-ups on Sinke when he's trying to get the nail in. There's like sweat dripping from his face. And you're yeah. Kind of, one of the only times a close-up in this movie is used well. Um, and then to them releasing everybody else and it's still kind of flashing, the light flashing in and out as they plan to storm the deck and start killing everybody. It's, it's, uh, it is the best scene in this movie. I guess I just kind of branch off that and say that, um, Di, Di, Diamond Hon, Hunsu? Yeah. Uh, Jimon Hunsu? A, is, as Sinke is maybe the best part of this movie. His performance is about the only one that has any merit at all. Not even Hopkins, with all his eye makeup. No. Okay. I mean, he gives. I'm, a pretty I'm good saying more to play devil's advocate. Though, yeah, you know? he gives a pretty good speech at the end, but uh, there's parts in this where he's like so over the top; it's almost laughable. Yeah. I mean, Colin Colin Farrell in phone booth does less phoning it in than uh, <laughs> Hopkins oh, does in this movie. Bazing. <laughs> oh. Mm. I mean, he literally delivers a whole speech while he's sleeping. And I feel like that's very tell. Like I, I feel like that scene perfectly mocks like what Anthony Hopkins did throughout most of this movie. Yeah, pretends to sleep and then until he's called on and then he knows exactly what was said. Yep, exactly. Pretends to sleep. Yeah, okay. What an asshole! <laughs> Just truly an asshole. Like, yeah. It's a uh, this slave who might be sentenced to death comes to visit me. He's like, oh, come look at my garden with me before we get down to business. Um. I, I'm going to echo the same sentiment that first scene is the best scene, but I'll also point to the final scene when the slaves are being returned to Africa. They're all dressed nobly in white on the ship. Mm -hmm. It was like a very nice shot. And I think, you know, not to harp on, you know, film studies identity shit, but I think it bears mention that, like, it's absurd when you don't center in the narrative the people the narrative is about. So yeah. it's like this movie just goes to such pains to, to tell the slave story without centering the slaves as the center of the narrative. And as a result, it's just so stupid because nothing's at stake for anyone else. Like, oh, if he can't argue this case, like, he might have to go back to being a wealthy lawyer, you know? Or yeah. They tried to, like, um, with John Quincy Adams, tried to set up, like, well, you want to live up to John Adams' legacy, even though he'd already been president. Mm -hmm. John Adams is only one-term president. And by all accounts, Quincy Adams was, like, revered and respected as a... A, um, a diplomat and president and congressman. But yeah. It, it, it really is for... If if, sh if um, Spielberg likes history so much, he really missed a lot of it in bringing this to life. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, there's... After they win, like you pointed out during the movie, they just do nothing but winning. And even though it has a nice speech at the end, uh, all the Hopkins stuff is null and void because there are no more stakes left. We don't even hear another side of the argument when we get to the Supreme Court. It's just... It's an hour-long victory lap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And never... in like, <clears throat> you know, it's... Everything is in context, what have you, but it left such a bad taste in my mouth that, like, 1840, we're talking about how noble the North is when, like, slavery is still legal in the North and every founding father they mentioned owned slaves except for John Adams. It just, like, does a lot of... It's, like, a pretty big stretch to try to make them like this great noble uh, group of heroes you know yeah well they do it at the end in the end title cards where it's like and then the civil war broke out so this was kind of the precipice of uh what happened here the, the what kicked it off here you know like okay sure right <laughs> yeah just just rewatch glory instead you know yeah um Boy, yeah, I really am struggling to find anything else really good to say about this movie. Uh, so I think that means, ta -da, ta -da, worst scene. If there's a best scene, it means there has to be a worst scene. What's the worst one in Amistad? I mean, 
Boy, there's a lot of options here. My clear cut, I think, the scene where he goes into the prison and draws America, like, in the dirt, and then tries to draw Africa in the dirt, and then the prisoner walks, like, across the, the prison yard to indicate he's from very far away. It's trying to be that thing, like, we're not so different, you yeah. But it's not communicated, and it's very poorly done, and no useful information is gleaned by either party or provided by either party in the exchange. So that was maybe my worst scene, and I think indicative of what's bad about so many other scenes in the movie. Yeah, I will say that also has the clumsiest failed attempt at comedy through the subtitles, where he's mm. like, oh man, how can I get across what what I'm saying to you? And then like... Sinke says in African, and then we see it in the subtitles, like, I only wish I could tell you what I'm trying to say to you. Like, and they do that like two or three times where they say the exact same thing without understanding one another. And then he even says something, uh, oh, you want to know where we're from. Like, that's what he says in African after Matthew McConaughey goes, ah, I just wish I could know where you're from. Like, he could figure this out somehow with what he's saying. I don't know. I think all the subtitles are very obvious and stupid in this movie. All down to the John Forsyth title card, where no one else gets a character introduction via subtitles, except for your boy. Bring me the name, Brad. Oh, David Pamer? David Pamer, thank you very much. Brad, you got a worse scene here? Uh, boy, yeah, that scene you mentioned, Brendan, is really bad. Um... I would probably actually go with McConaughey overall being in this movie. <laughs> I mean, I could break the, like the scene where he's all the counting stuff comes off really just uh, unnecessary, and he's like trying to count it. What's uh, God? I should have wrote it down. The language Mende. That, Mende, and he's like speaking it there, and he's trying to use it out in public, and it's just. So bad. I don't understand the point of it. He doesn't fit in this world anyway. Like, he's such a contemporary type actor and, like, person in general that he seems to have no business in this time. I think we were even saying during the movie, nobody looks like him. Yeah. Nobody acts like him. Like, he doesn't fit here at all. Daniel Day-Lewis would fit in... I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis fits in any role. But I'm saying, like, he at least has that, like, oh, I can be from a different era. Like, McConaughey can't. Yeah. That doesn't work. Well, his hair, his facial hair, his Ben Franklin-style spectacles all look ridiculous on him. And then his, like, accent... In, it, we even heard it in the line you did about the I'm not an orator or advisor compared to the line I did about the difference between a cow and a cabbage. I mean, he's, like, doing two different accents at that point. One is, like, this old attempted old English, almost, like, Victorian-style. And then the other one's just fucking McConaughey. Just... Well, Cow it's, cabbage. it's such classic Hollywood cynicism to be like, oh, he did Time to Kill last year? Oh, yeah, well, we could do, we got another story like that. Yeah. Uh, I, take Amistad off the pile. That's like, what we said a hundred years earlier. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's like exactly the thing that everyone talks about that's wrong with Hollywood. Yeah. Um, whew, okay. I'm trying to decide between two. I think I'm probably going to have to go with. Morgan Freeman on the Amistad. Ah. When he is traumatized by the shot of chains and slave conditions. When he himself is a freed slave who's been fighting for abolition. And he is now put into a tizzy. Almost passes out because he can't believe the horrors of an empty slave ship that he's seeing. Like, everything is wouldn't be normalized to him. Like, obviously he would know all these horrors, or else he wouldn't be fighting to end slavery. And, like, how badass would it have been if, like, McConaughey was Was the one to do that, and he had to have been like, get over it, son. Nothing I ain't seen before. Yeah. Try living it. You yeah. Know, one of those pithy lines. I mean, I, I think that is maybe the worst just because it's completely deaf to what a black character would want in this movie or, or react how one would react. Um, but I just got to say, just because it also was such a big waste of time for me in this two and a half hour movie, 
was when the Sinke's friend, fellow African uh, prisoner, is explaining the Jesus story through oh. the pictures in the Bible. The and and nothing too deep. There's the surface Jesus story we all know in you know a minute or less, intercut with the uh, introverted Catholic judge praying for no reason. Uh, and then this, like, loose tie to faith that is now strung throughout the movie after that. So much of the movie wants to say, like, ultimately we're all the same. Right. And this is like, I mean, you know, we just went to the Women's March yesterday, and, like, that's the critique that women of color had the Women's March, is, like, it's easy to say we're all the same when you're the oppressor, right? Yeah. And it's just so <laughs> evident throughout this. Like, oh, yeah, well, you know what? We're the same, uh, what bygones be bygones. Like, well, it's easy for you, you know? Right. And, yeah, it's just, uh so, so ridiculous, like, anyone needs a recounting, especially in, in America, where clearly Steven Spielberg is making American films, needs a Jesus story recounted to them once again in a two-and-a-half-hour movie. I, rarely do you watch a movie, I mean, I, I see many movies that are way too long. We all do. Oh, yeah. But rarely do you see a movie that you can be like, yeah, I see 40 minutes we can cut right there. Oh, easily. And just like, and that's over maybe just three or four sequences. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm trying to figure out where I wrote one down, but now I can't find yeah, it. Yeah, because there was, we had talked about another scene that's like, wow, they could have easily just cut this. Good thing we're wasting time on this. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, one that killed me was John Quincy Adams is like, come to my garden. Here's the precious African lily, which I've captured. And now it's growing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh God, could this be... A metaphor for any events in this film. And, like, what does that illuminate for yeah. us? Yeah, and that scene, actually, too, when Hopkins, is he talking to Morgan Freeman? And he, like, comes in and he, like, sits the flower down on the ground in that perfectly... In the light. In the light. Caring for his uh, plants. Uh, just all of, the, all of the Anthony Hopkins stuff really seemed pointless. Well, and there, this reminds me of a conversation we had while watching the movie. I think bears mentioning like movies like this remind you how good Shawshank Redemption is because that like high key, smarmy, sweeping soundtrack, melodramatic, uh, really sharp contrasting light thing. If it's not done perfectly, it comes off as so bad. Yeah. And this is the example of you know the bad part for sure. Yeah, it dips into like cheesy melodrama. Yeah, like quickly and easily, especially with this overwrought John Williams score, for sure. But here's a little song that ain't overwrought. It's the theme song to Milkin' It, the final game of the podcast. Zero to five points eligible for each person sitting around the podcast table today. We're each going to choose a card from the big box of Hollywood ideas of prequels, sequels, reboots, and genres. And on said card, we'll give us a new way to... Reuse what we just saw in Amistad, whether it be the characters, the plot lines, the themes, the overwrought or uh, underrung issues of faith or slavery, whatever you want to take salvage from this film, and make put it out there, make a brand new movie for the uh, studio audience, studio system, and the general audience. Uh, we need a title and a quick summary from each one of us. Ah. After, of course, we choose from the big box, the old Hollywood relic. Brendan, I believe you are going to go first here. You ready? Oh, hell yeah. And you want to read aloud? Or you want to keep it secret? Murder mystery. Oh, okay. Brad Davis. Ooh, wow. Pulled out about four. There we go. Just one, Brad. I know. I'm rebooting it. The reboot of Amistad, <laughs> finally. <laughs> 20 years later. Time oh, for a reboot. no. And I'm going to do it as a disaster film. <laughs> well, that's fitting. If it weren't already one. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break and be right back with three brand new movies for your listening enjoyment right after this. And we're back right in the middle of milking it for 
Amistad with Brendan Gallagher today. And Brendan Gallagher is the one kicking us off here with his murder mystery version of Amistad. We all know what happened in the Amistad. <laughs> that much is clear. This is the story of some other murders. Murders committed in cold blood. After the slaves were brought from the Amistad to the jail near Washington, D.C., one of them dies mysteriously. The slaves and the Americans both think nothing of it. It's common for slaves to die of the white man's disease. But more slaves start to die. Though the slaves are being kept under constant supervision and under lock, lock and key, they are dropping like flies. The defense team, led by Matthew McConaughey, has to focus A, on getting the gears of justice turning, and B, figuring out what's, what's killing these slaves before it's too late. The case breaks wide open when they enlist the help of ex-president and plant aficionado John Quincy Adams, mm. who hypothesizes, yes, no one was going in and out besides the defense team and the bailiff, uh, and the slaves themselves, of course, and yet people were dying. This is because the slaves were being exposed to plants. Plants, you say? Yes. In the very ink that, that they were using to teach the slaves to read and write the white man's language had actually been poison. It seems the prosecution had been bribing the creator of the inkwells and the inks the entire time, hoping to kill off all the witnesses before they could testify before the Supreme Court and break the case wide open. Just in the nick of time, John Quincy Adams breaks the case and defends our slaves in front of the Supreme Court, freeing them and uh, helping them cast off their chains while saving their lives. See, Anthony Hopkins and Matthew McConaughey, this fall in the Amistad murders. Mmm. I liked it. All right. I, I really like that. A nice little, uh, nice little twist there. The, the ink. I really thought you were going to go with, a, like, Murder on the Amistad Express. <laughs> where I thought you were going to go. That's really good. Yeah. But, I just uh, saw yeah, I really the Kenneth Brown Art Express. It's, it, I liked it a lot. You liked it a lot. Yeah, I, I got to see that. That is one of the ones I missed from 2017. It, it only slightly piqued my interest. But uh, I liked yours much better than I liked the 1974 <laughs> version of Murder on the Orient Express. Fair enough. That's for sure. Brad. Yes. Is 20... 18, ready for your reboot of Amistad? Probably not. Well, <laughs> ready or not. <laughs> Here, Here I come. come. Um, so, I'm going to kind of refocus the movie a little bit. It's going to kind of be my reboot. So, we are going to spend kind of less time with the McConaughey's Anthony Hopkins, all of those characters, and we're going to kind of focus more on the slaves. And so... Uh, not slaves. Africans. Captured. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. The, that's the debate. Of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. They captured Africans. Sorry. Um, so we're going to start with them on the ship, and we're going to kind of be with them longer there to kind of see early on, get a more of an introduction to them, and kind of see how they interact with each other before the rebellion. And then the rebellion will also kind of will stay in that longer and kind of see how that all plays out. And the taking over the ship, their actual then kind of the moment of realization of success and kind of what that means and the actual freedom for the first time. And then kind of how that plays into what do we do now? Where do we go from here? What's what's our best course of action and just trying to figure that out and then um we'll get to sh also a big part of this movie will be shortening the film mm -hmm. by about an hour and a worthy project <laughs> yeah uh and then getting to uh america and focusing again more on um certainly the mcconaughey character comes into play which will now be played by daniel day lewis and we'll kind of, the John Quincy Adams stuff, will, he'll really just be a uh, cameo at the end for when they need him. We pretty much won't even see him before that. And I actually want to focus even more on the translator played by Elijah Ford in the movie. Uh, I actually want him to take over the Sinke role. Mm. And then put Sterling K. Brown in the translator role. And then have kind of see 
focus a lot more on their relationship and how he starts kind of coming from a uh, obviously a better situation than them and kind of more understanding where they're coming from and kind of learning through them and kind of having the whole learning experience take place between those two characters. Mm. And yeah, that's kind of it. That's the reboot. Okay. I like it. And my title is Sinke's Uprising. Okay. Didn't have a good title. Yeah. It'd probably just go Uprising. I had that too, but I don't know, that seemed almost too generic. Sure. So I wanted something more, but either way. I appreciate it. It is what it is. Yeah. I like the little uh, switch casting. Put as you four in the uh, Sinke role. Yeah. Yeah. Great. He needs to play a slave. <laughs> a again, slave we need to bring again. it back. Yeah, yeah. yeah, a man in chains again. Uh, well, I got the disaster film. If you guys are ready, bring it. All right. Well, uh, so of course the Amistad is a ship. We're going to start off on the ship, and that's where the majority of their action is going to take place. Um, these prisoners are being transported, um, but there's a big storm coming that they, the, the slave traders, don't predict. But uh, being uh, as they're still off the coast of Africa, that our, our prisoners kind of know is coming due to their own almanacs, I guess. Um, so they stage their, their uprising in this storm. Uh, of course, all hell breaks loose. I mean, it goes back and forth depending on who kind of has the upper hand because of things like the rushing of waves onto deck, knocking people off and overboard and, and all the chaos and blood that's going down. Um, but eventually the, the prisoners do free themselves and find themselves on the ship, in control of the ship with a few prisoners uh, uh, on, in the calm of the next morning. Only to find a bigger ship, find them, uh, which is helmed by Matthew McConaughey and Anthony Hopkins and um, Morgan Freeman and Ajaya uh, uh, Four are all on the ship. They're all part of this crew. And uh, they rescue them... Um, with the intent to bring them to land, only knowing, only now they tell them that, in fact, this is just the eye of the storm. And the much bigger storm is to come tonight. Mm -hmm. So now they do have a bigger ship, but now they must face a bigger storm. And uh, they all must kind of band together and um, thwart the, the evil uh, slave traders who are still among them, um, trying to, to free themselves and, and kill these other guys. Uh, before they can uh, be brought back to land, where they'll face a whole new set of challenges. <laughs> but that's for another movie. Uh, and this is called The Amistad of the Atlantic. Oh. <laughs> there you I go. I like it. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, as soon as you're done scoring, please pass your scorecards to the front of the class for final edition. And as we do that, we move into our pessimistic end of the show, Podcast Regrets. Anything you regret saying or not saying during the duration of uh, our episode on Amistad? I regret that I have but one month to give for my McConuary. Mm. Uh, well, you know, I always thought that if you keep the spirit of McConuary in your heart, you can have McConuary all, all year long. I guess I regret that we never did Failure to Launch. Yeah. I feel like it might be the worst one, and... I, I'm not saying we'll never know because I'm certainly going to watch it at some point, but we won't be necessarily reflecting on it in this venue. I feel the same way about Tiptoes. The fact that we never got to do... I regret that we never got to do a McConuary with the Gary Oldman, Matthew McConaughey movie Tiptoes, where Gary Oldman plays a little person and... McConaughey and him, I guess, are both vying for Kate Beckinsale's love. It the trailer looks really, really inappropriate. Yeah, I, here we are on the eve of uh, Gary Oldman potentially winning an Oscar too. Uh, yeah, yeah, the eve. I mean, yes, we're the Oscars are coming up. Right, announcements are Tuesday, I believe so. Yeah, maybe. Well, by the time this is out, yeah, yeah, they're out. I don't think anyone is going to upset uh, Gary Oldman as frontrunner, though. No, he's definitely the frontrunner. Yeah. Uh, for me, boy, my podcast regret is maybe that we didn't... I didn't play or record any of Matthew McConaughey counting in Men Day. Ah. Uh, 
It's really, it's really a sound to be held. It's something that <laughs> will behold. probably be the thing that I remember about this movie the most, quite honestly, is that little sequence where he's learning and then using the stuff he learned in, in practicality. It yeah. was... To, to no practicality, oh, I mean, actually. I mean, in actual, using it in life, like actually trying to use it and yeah. for no reason and doing a terrible job of yeah. it. And it just lets him meet Ezio 4. There's, like, not a worse actor I could think of trying to deliver that dialogue, except, like, maybe Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. I could see that scene being really bad with Mark Wahlberg. Sure. (laughs) There's some real meaningless bullshit in the John Quincy Adams court monologue. Oh, it's so long. And I feel like if my eyes hadn't glazed over, like, 30 seconds in, I could have gotten some really good best lines. Like, one I think we pulled out was, like, if we are in the present, then we are in the past or something. Just, like, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And it's really great <laughs> in yeah. its awfulness. Just filled with uh, Americana bullshit. Yeah. Is it, is. It, it, might, it made, it's longer than Freebird, I swear to God. Like, Yeah, I think it is brutal. a seven-minute uh, speech, I believe, they, that is what the time's clock center. It seems so nonsensical. Like, you feel like you get nothing out of this. It ended, I was like, what did he just say? That's, that was nothing. Yeah. How did this free them? Couldn't tell you. We don't know. We'll yeah. never know. I mean, at that point, we were about two hours and 20 minutes into this, and I was just like, yeah, I just wanted to end. The mystery of the Amistad. All right, guys. Well, it turned out to be a pretty tight race. Uh, not for Brad. Oh, uh, 14.75 points. Probably a proper showing for Amistad. Um, <laughs> but it came down to Brendan and I. I clocked in at 17.1, but Brendan just edged me out with 17.85 points. Wow. Uh, Within a point. Damn it. I couldn't have done it without you, Matthew. You're the wind beneath my wings. It's been a pleasure going on this journey. And yeah, you know, in Maconuary, it feels like there's three of us here at this chair. But let's be real. There's a fourth here in spirit. There's always a fourth. And uh, we're going to keep Shinerbach open for you at your seat, Matthew, in hopes that someday, like the prophet Elijah, you will join us. Yeah, uh, that's that's a good point actually. If Matthew McConaughey ever expresses interest in coming on this show, we will revive it. Only if he sh- drives up here in a Lincoln and drinks wild turkey. No, first of all, <laughs> he can drive up and drink whatever he wants. Yeah. While here. I'm not going to put those stipulations on it. It would be a lot of fun. If I'm not going to put his own branding <laughs> stipulations on this. I won't limit him to it either. If he wants wild turkey, hey, we'll drink wild turkey all yeah. night. Matt, you can have whatever you want, buddy. Exactly. Come on the show. Watch Failure to Launch with us. Bottle of wild turkey on us. <laughs> the least we can do. The least we can do. You Come on, Matthew. Yep. Uh, well, yeah, guys. That's it. That's McConuary. I think we made it entirely clear you should carry McConuary in your hearts with you all year round. Uh, and we hope you do here at High on Film, for sure. Brendan, thank you so much for bringing this this yearly joy into our lives that I hope to carry on long after this podcast is over. That's right, folks. We're going to keep watching McConaughey movies during McConaughey, even if we're not telling people about them. And uh, yeah, I just want to thank Brad, Chris, and Matthew for all the McConaughey memories. Um, (laughs) Thanks to Jen Murray, whose hatred of Matthew McConaughey kept me going. Uh, those years back when we had our um, the, tri- the Great Trial of Matthew McConaughey episode. And uh, thanks to all the films and filmmakers that uh, led us on this journey from Surfer Dude to Ghost of Girlfriends Pass and up here through to Amistad. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. From the guy who made Hands on a Hard Body to Steven Spielberg. Mm. Where the McConaughey journey begins and ends, huh? That's beautiful. Yeah. Anything to plug for you? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at Muddy Creek U. Uh, there you will see my various writing for some different freelance outlets. And if I end up, you know, uh, off of unemployment and on a television show, I'll let you know there too. Absolutely. There you go. A great follow indeed. Brad Davis, thank First, you as always. Happy McConuary, sir. Happy McConuary. It's a shame to see it go, but McConuary will always live on. Hey, with movies like Amistad... It's all right. Yeah. We're fine. That reconnaissance <laughs> is looking shorter and shorter every day. Yeah. Uh, um, you can find me at BD, always GP on Twitter and Instagram. And 
I do currently have a, uh, it's a little old now, but I love you Pittsburgh Pirates. I have one article up there given what happened to our franchise in the last couple weeks. So yeah, little tip of the cap to the dearly departed Kutch. Yeah. Uh, a, a heart-wrenching article indeed. <laughs> Uh, but a, a very good read, especially for Pirates fans. Uh, I'm at Cross Maxwell across your social media accounts. That's Chris with an O in place of the I. At High on Film is the show where you can follow us for, well, not only these 16 last episodes, but our entire catalog at highonfilm.com, on Apple Podcasts, a lot of the old stuff's on SoundCloud. Respond to us. Send us an email at the High on Film Show at Gmail. We're on Twitter, uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram, you can comment on stuff there. Whatever you'd like, guys. We'd love to hear from you in these final shows. And that is that. Happy McConaughey everywhere, everywhere, everyone, everywhere. And everywhere. And everywhere. And we will be back next week. From West Texas to East Texas. <laughs> that, that is the proper McConaughey greeting. From West Texas to East Texas. Happy uh-huh. McConaughey, everyone. We'll see you next week with a new movie. All right, all right, all right. (laughs) Goodbye.